So good to see all of you. Um, hey, we are continuing in our series uh, called Ecclesia, which is really uh, a discussion around the metaphors that are used in the New Testament to describe the church. And this is a way of us digging into why do we consider the local church to be uh, an essential part of the Christian life. And I think this is an important conversation, especially in a time nationally where the church is coming under increasing scrutiny. Uh, there are multiple articles over the last uh, week, really last couple weeks, around the church and whether or not the church is culpable for what happened uh, in Washington, D.C. and the connection uh, to kind of political unrest and evangelicals in America. And I, I want to just start off by saying, before we dig into the metaphor of the church as the flock, um, I want to just kind of help you guys understand, because I think a lot of people are confused about what is it that people are pointing at the church as responsible for, and what we're seeing are articles specifically around a particular brand of evangelicalism that, that is connected to nationalism. Donald Blush, one of my favorite, uh, favorite theologians, uh, definitely my favorite American theologian over the last 30, 40 years, uh, he wrote in the 90s in his book on the church and sacraments that the greatest threat to the church uh, to the church in America was secularism and nationalism. Now, what's interesting about that is that that, that is the very battle that is happening around us is this raging battle between the left and the right around the, this idea that the left uh, in its secular liberal agenda is destroying America's, you know, moral backbone and it, the foundation by which it's been built. And the right uh, and, the, and the left is continually looking at the right and saying, and saying that this sort of over-the-top conservative, xenophobic, nationalistic impulse is, is dangerous and problem is is that both sides are about villainizing the other side and as a church that puts us in a very complicated place but there are many churches and there are many communities of faith and I was grateful the New York Times just did an article and was really clear to say that that it is not from the pulpit that that evangelicals are primarily getting their political leanings, but it is from their natural tendency toward particular media groups to feed the information by which they are drawn into these debates. We've seen it firsthand at Door of Hope. There was a Facebook thing that happened for the, I don't use Facebook. I literally can't figure it out. I don't understand it. I have I, a record label set up a Facebook page for my music like years ago and I still have never been able to utilize it. And so people have 
write forums about my songs and the only way I've been able to comment is as a guest on my own <laughs> Facebook page because I don't have, I don't know what the password is. <laughs> so that's a whole nother story. All that to say there is, there is this, this big debate around, around, you know, politics and when everything happened with the, with the protests in Portland. And, and we saw this, and a lot of families experienced this firsthand where there's just a lot of conflict within the family. But the, the issue that's at stake and why the church is getting dragged into this, it wasn't just because of, of a support for our last president. It has to do with a... Per, uh, an actual strain of evangelicalism that I would call a nationalistic strain. And what that is, is it's the, it's the belief amongst many Christians that God is still in the business of blessing nations. The idea is, is that it's possible as a nation to have the favor of God upon us if we hold to our Christian foundations. First of all, you have to believe that America was founded upon Christian principles to even hold to that. Secondly, you have to believe that actually that is still the way in which God works in the world. And I wanted to argue that, A, I don't really care if you think that America was founded on Christian principles or not. I will say this, theologically, I am absolutely opposed to a nationalistic reading of the New Testament. I think that Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Did God use a nation, Israel, to move his mission and purposes forward? Yes, he did. Did Israel succeed in that mission? No, they did not. Did David succeed in that mission? No, he did not. Did Abraham succeed in that mission? No, he did not. God chose a man, a nation, a king, and the prophets came to tell us that none of them worked. And that's why we got to look forward to this coming prophet, this coming king, this coming ruler who would bring all of God's flock together, and that would be King Jesus. And I believe with the dispensation of grace and the rise of the gospel and the birth of the church, that from that point forward, Jesus is not about nations. He's about the church being a conduit by which people from all nations are saved. He is not an advocate for any political system. He is neither Republican or Democrat or socialist. He's not, he's not a, he, he's, he's de definitely none of those things. If, if he's like anything, I would say that he's maybe a dictator, uh, <laughs> but a really good one, like an awesome one, if you're with him. Um, and so, so this creates a lot of problems because if the belief is, is I, I, have, I have talks with Christians all the time, like, you know, we just have to come back to God. Our nation needs to repent. I'm like, yeah, people that don't know Jesus are dead in their sins. So they're not repenting of anything unless they meet Jesus. So if those people that are threatening your Christian foundation are the enemy, then who are we supposed to be witnessing to? And is the way to witness to them by entering into continual political battles with them on social media? 
because you know you're super effective. Like you are changing the world with your opinions on Twitter and Facebook. Everybody, like one of you could just put out that quote that goes viral that literally brings world peace. Um, yeah, that's not gonna happen. And, and the fact is, is that America, for all of its wonderful things, I am so grateful that I live in a country where I am free to preach this message. I'm grateful that I live in a city where I enjoy its food and its culture. And that's why Portland's so sad right now. Um, but here is the fact, is that for all of the wonderful things that America has provided to the world, it also is possibly responsible for some of the worst things that has ever been brought into the world, like McDonald's, but we still love it. And that shows that everything we do is mixture and why our loyalty and our allegiance is not to nation, it's to God. And when Paul says, be good citizens, submit yourself to the authorities that are over the world. Remember, he was writing that during the Roman Empire. This is before Constantine. This is before the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, which by the way, I would argue was not that helpful for the church. If anything, it created a tremendous amount of confusion. It all of a sudden went from here's who the church is to everybody's a part of the church because Caesar said so. That's not how one becomes a Christian. And so the problem that we have today is this idea, this false dichotomy that, that America somehow is gonna lose God's blessing. America doesn't have God's blessing because God doesn't bless nations. He blesses his people as they walk in obedience to him. And that should have an impact on whatever society you're in if indeed we as the church are being. But think about where the church is exploding, places like China. So if the church is exploding in China more than it is in America, isn't that then a Christian nation? We wouldn't say that, would we? We would say that God is continuing his mission in spite of a political system that seems to be actually quite oppressive and even opposed to Christian ideas and values. So we've been blessed that we're a part of a country that has incorporated Christian values into our, into our constitution and all of those things, wonderful. But the constitution is not the Bible and it is not infallible and America is not the new Israel. I promise you that. And I promise you kingdoms come and go and this kingdom will go like every other kingdom before it, but the kingdom of God remains and our responsibility is to be good citizens for the purpose of not being obnoxious with anything but the gospel. So we obey the law because we want to make sure that there is nothing hindering our ability to be witnesses to King Jesus. And so that's where I think that this is where the church is gonna come under attack as long as there is faulty theology. And listen, I don't have an issue. If you hold to the idea that God still blesses nations, there's room, you're wrong, but you can hold to that. Uh, and it's fine, but when it becomes the thing that is the focal point of, of a church or of a Christian, the gospel inevitably gets lost because you inevitably think that the best way to bring the principles of the kingdom is through legislation and that's deeply problematic. And the Christian right was a proven misstep of the church in the 80s when it was at its peak. So with that said, I just think it's important. I'm not political. 
but I definitely want you guys to know where I stand because the church is going to come. I've already gotten emails like, like, hey, like, how are you going to respond to the, to the things that the church is responsible for in this moment? I'm like, hey, no, no, you know what? I'm not going to apologize for my belief in Jesus as the Savior of the world because of some bad theology or the actions of others. I'm not, I, I don't think we're doing anything, any benefit by all of a sudden coming to this place where we as Christians have to back down from the gospel because the culture views it as an anathema. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not helpful. Like what we need to do is continue to be conduits of grace, to love all people well, and to invite people into the gospel of Christ, which is the only means of real freedom and liberation. So it was a long introduction, but I think it's important because as I'm trying to answer the question of does the scripture make a case that being a part of the local church is actually a non-negotiable component of the Christian life, I would argue yes. But as the church gets attacked because of particular strains of theology that has entered into the church, it's going to make more and more people question whether it's worth it to be a part of the church and they'll play this game out in their head. I can love Jesus and follow Jesus, but I do not need to be a part of the local church. And I know that's the case because I've had that conversation with three people in the last five months that were longtime uh, members of Door of Hope who feel now, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't feel that I need to be a part of the church. The church is too painful. I, I've been hurt too many times. I've done this and that. And, it's, and, I, and my question is, well, how are you actually doing as a Christian without the church? And the fact is, is that the movement away from Jesus and away from orthodoxy becomes increasingly evident in those conversations. And so, with that being said, today we're considering what it means for the church to be the flock of God. And the good news, even when I have a brother or sister who walks away from the church, who I know knows Jesus, I believe Jesus at his word, that he will leave the 99 to find the one. Um, in Ezekiel 34, 23, we see in the prophets that we are sheep as a people in need of a shepherd. It says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, Messiah. So already the prophet's looking forward to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of, of the prophecy. He is, he is, I would argue, the one true Israel, that he is the chosen one and that we are in him, which makes us elect. I, I love what it says in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, the reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And right away, what you see again and again with the analogy of, of God's people as being sheep is that, is that we are pretty helpless without God's help. I mean, isn't that the fundamental beginning point of Christianity is that I can't protect myself, I can't care for myself, I can't be what I'm intended to be. I am lost without Jesus. I need someone to save me. I need someone to help me. And I love the picture of protection and care. Um, but when we think of sheep, you know, I shared about a year ago 
when we did the um, Jesus is the Good Shepherd in, in the I Am Statements uh, series, which is, I, I think it was a really fun series to go through uh, called Who Do You Say That I Am? Uh, and once again, looking at the metaphors that Jesus uses about himself, uh, I, I brought up a point that, that every time I had ever heard a pastor talk about sheep, he would always make the same statement, sheep are dumb. This is one of those things that pastors do. We're really good at being real serious students of the word. We're not necessarily awesome about fact-checking things that we use to illustrate the scripture because it's actually not true. Sheep are actually pretty smart. They may not seem smart because they're so docile, but they are. They're, they have good memory uh, and recognition skills, uh, but there are so many things Keith Kendrick, uh, the BBC used this, this article that he wrote about, about sheep that I thought was really fascinating. Like us, they need one another, but they don't particularly like each other. It's, it's helpful. Um, they can build friendships. They can stick up for one another in fights. They feel sad when their friends are sent to slaughter. I mean, it's, uh, we understand that. Um, like us, they're, they're young or more prone to risk-taking. Uh, lambs love to climb. They're naturally curious, and that curiosity leads to lots of barnyard accidents. It's a reality. Uh, like much of modern society, due to their domestication, it is doubtful they could survive in the wild. That would be very true of me. I like, I'm what I like to refer to as indoorsy. Um, they are prone to anxiety. Uh, sheep are skittish. They, they startle easily. They're scared of loud, no, sudden noises. Uh, and they, they tend to have a nervous disposition, which is why shepherds know to use soft voice with them. There's a, they, they have a way of, of calming them. They, like us, and this is a really interesting aspect of sheep, which is kind of due to just the, the natural evolution of things within, within a species, that they, they hide their pain. And because sheep, they, they said that sheep will be less likely to show pain than a dog because sheep are not predators. And they've learned that if you show pain, that's how you get eaten. And so they hide pain. And I think that we as humans are really masterful at the same, same thing, are we not? Like us, they are, their bent toward following can lead them into dangerous places. Uh, when sheep move, the rest will follow, even if it's not a good idea. Isn't that interesting? And like us, <laughs> they are also one of the most destructive creatures on the planet. <laughs> so we're, we're, in these ways, we are sheep in need of a shepherd. The good news is that Jesus is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11 through 17, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And I, I think this is interesting. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, showing once again that God had worked through a man, through a nation, through the priests, through the king, through the prophets, but now the fulfillment of those things is here. The substance 
Everything else was shadows pointing to this reality. And he's saying, you're not really shepherds because the moment you're in danger, you would leave the sheep and leave them vulnerable. But that's not what the good shepherd does. And he says, he goes, he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I always say that, that, that the Christian life is one that is meant to be, um, to be literally an intimate relationship with a present God. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Uh, and I think that the, the challenge in the Christian life is always trying to acclimate our hearts and minds to hear his still soft voice amongst the chaos and the noise that our lives are filled with. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here the good shepherd, uh, Jesus is saying, giving us the, the picture of what his whole mission was. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So his purpose is to bring all of the sheep into his fold. Uh, and so he's telling his disciples that they're, they're, Israel is not the end game. Israel was a means to the end, which was, a, which was a reconciliation of all things unto God through Jesus. And he says, I have other sheep, not of the fold. I will bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So here Jesus gives us his mission. His mission is laying down his life for his sheep, that he is a pursuing God, that God is in the business of pursuing and seeking lost men and women, boys and girls, and drawing them into his family. And the beauty of this passage is that we can trust that our God cares about us. And I love that, and it's powerful. But this is an easy passage to use as a proof text to say that you don't need to be a part of a local church. That what it really means to be a Christian is that to be a part of the mystical church, the big C church, which is any man, any woman, any boy, any girl that is in Christ. And that is true. But how does the good shepherd shepherd his people? And I think that we don't have to look very far <laughs> to see that when Jesus says that he will gather all people into one flock, that that one flock will be represented by thousands of small flocks that are physical communities of faith found in geographic locations all over the world. That's the reality. The Christian faith is not meant to just purely be a mystical one that no one can see tangibly, but that the community of faith as well as the shepherd is seen tangibly and accomplished through the local church. And this is why I want us to understand the church as a flock means that the church should be a place, just as Jesus provides for his sheep, we are to be the manifestation, the shepherds of, the of each church, as small as shepherds, are to be, be conduits of the protection of Jesus, the feeding that Jesus brings to his, here's the care, as well as the sacrifice. But I don't wanna get ahead of myself. 
The local church is how Jesus, as the good shepherd, shepherds his flock. In fact, look what it says in Acts chapter 20, as we consider now, when we talk about the church as a flock, we are talking about the church first and foremost as a place of protection. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32, Paul, we're told, had gathered the elders of the church in Ephesus, and this is probably multiple small church communities, house churches. He gathers all of, the, all of the leaders of these communities, and he says, keep watch over yourselves. So just like Timothy, take heed to your own godliness. And all of the flock, notice that, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So this doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd over one flock, but how is, the Jesus, how is Jesus the good shepherd over one flock? By being in the midst of the physical communities of the church, which we are called, the, we are a flock here. He is still the good shepherd, but he raises up small as shepherds to care for the flock so that we can become a visible manifestation of his invisible work. And so he says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. Peter says the very same words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In other words... God raises up leaders, raises up elders in, in, a local, in a local community to be the conduits by which he brings care and protection. And the church is to be a place where the sheep are protected, specifically protected from wolves. The problem is, is that wolves seem to arise, as Paul himself says, from within the flock itself. Often the greatest danger to the church is the church itself. The issues that we're dealing even with nationally and the, and the commentaries that were written, we can say, oh, it's just, it's just propaganda. The left is just looking for a way to attack Christianity. No, there is a reality that yes, there is, there is an agenda by many to unhinge our belief in a moral God because, because we don't like to be accountable to any authoritative position and we don't like to be told what is right and wrong and we live in a time in which we want to be able to define that for ourselves. That is true. There may be that agenda, but we are giving them easy fodder when we make it our priority to not be about Jesus and not be caring for the sheep because to care for the sheep means that you are continually pointing people back to the gospel not to a national agenda, but to a supernatural agenda by which the kingdom of God comes in part, trusting that it will one day come in full. That our allegiance to King Jesus means that we will continually point people to the cross of Christ. I always like to say that 
What is the goal of the Christian life? Is that we are to be imitators of Christ, right? But we can't imitate Christ if we leave out the cross. The cross is what makes it possible to follow the way of Jesus. The cross is also the way by which we receive the spirit from Jesus. And so the spirit-filled life that is marked by obedience is held together by the linchpin of the sacrifice of Christ. And the moment the church stops being about that is the moment that the sheep are in danger of being devoured by wolves. The moment I, and this is the terrifying thing about wolves, is that wolves are only doing what is natural to their nature. They don't see themselves as bad things. They're not aware of that. They're just feeding their appetites. And I think that sheep and wolves tend to work together in really damaging ways. And what I mean by that is what Paul said in the last days that people will no longer endure sound doctrine and they will heap up for themselves teachers that will scratch their itching ears. In other words, the moment that I become about how to have your best life now or if I start getting political or if I start making everything that I say the priority is about, about you know, working against this, this, you know, this clear desire to undermine you know, the principles that we hold so tenaciously to and leave out Jesus and the gospel, then I have become a wolf unintentionally. And this is why it is so important for the church to be a place of protection, but it cannot be a place of protection if it is not first a place of the gospel. Always the gospel. That's why I said, if I am not preaching Jesus, I should be fired immediately. And the elders know that because that is the only way that the church is going to endure the things that are coming against it. And what I see again and again right now is that instead of the church of being a place of protection for the sheep against the multitude of voices that are consistently trying to draw our affections to things that destroy our lives, churches under bad leadership are collapsing to the pressure and feeling that the best way to fight the difficulties of the day is to accommodate things that are in absolute opposition to the way of Christ, that we want to change out our beliefs so that we will no longer be offensive to those that are attacking us. But in doing so, we become powerless, we become ineffective, and actually even more prone to attack. It's like Christopher Hitchens, the great atheist, when he was interviewed by the, by the Unitarian pastor downtown, uh, she's, it's, a big, it's a big congregation, and she interviewed Hitchens before he was coming to Portland to speak, and she said, I believe, um, uh, I believe essentially what you believe. And he goes, he goes, well, you cannot believe what I believe and call yourself a Christian. And she goes, yes, I can. And, and he, goes, he goes, unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died a horrible death on the cross of Calvary and carried the sins of the world and rose literally from the dead, unless you put your faith in him for eternal life, if you don't believe those things, you are not a Christian in any meaningful sense of the word. How incredible that an atheist 
preaches the stinking gospel to a church leader. Only in Portland would that happen. And this speaks to the nature. She is not offering protection to her community. She has collapsed to the pressure. She has let the enemy in to the pulpit. And what people are finding is not freedom, but a continuation, a perpetuation of a lie that keeps people enslaved. We don't have to release our orthodoxy in order to not be jerks. In fact, I would argue that the moment you fall into the trappings of, of preaching a gospel of tolerance, you become a jerk. Because the church is a place where people should find the truth that sets them free. And this is the truth, that the only thing that a human being has to bring to God is their dead body. And the good news is that God is in the business of bringing dead things to life. That's the beauty of the gospel. So when people are like, I don't want, you know, do you think I'm an anathema? Do you think I'm, a, do you think I'm an abomination? Of course you are, but so am I without Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. He loves you. While we were dead in our sins, he loves you. This is why we can't lose that center. And that is, <laughs> and that is how we provide protection. That's how we provide care. That's how we provide love. The church is also a place of feeding. I love this. As sheep, what is promised is that the good shepherd will provide for us, protect us. Uh, look what it says in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, a very interesting interaction with Peter when he says, when Jesus says to him after his resurrection, he's appeared to, appeared to Peter. Peter's still living in this place of, of, I think he feels discouraged. He feels like he's failed. He's gone back to fishing. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be a small ass shepherd. And so what does Jesus say to him? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, what? Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. I love this. Jesus prophetically restoring him, reversing his own denial and bringing him back. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. This is such a beautiful picture of that. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Simon Peter, the one who said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, and upon this rock, I will what? Build my church. We don't think that that was Jesus making Peter the Pope, but we do see that Peter has a significant role in the foundation of the church and the means by which Jesus, the good shepherd, shepherds his people. Peter becomes a prototype of the pastor, the shepherd, the elder. And I love what Jesus says, your love for me needs to be witnessed by how well you point my people, my sheep, to me. Feed them, feed them, care for them. Door of hope 
in order to truly be the flock of God and for us as small as shepherds to be truly doing our job, we need to be a people that are committed to teaching you the word of God for Jesus is the logos. He is the living word. And it's not just scripture out of context. It is scripture reminding you and teaching you that every page of Holy Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. That it is not primarily a book of moralism, although morality is a huge part of God's character. His, his ethics uh, obviously are meant to rule his kingdom, but the central theme of the scripture is that God is a God who pursues people in their brokenness. The, the central theme of the scripture is that God is a God that is so loving, he is not willing to let go of his rebellious creation. The other theme that is continual through all of scripture, which is what we need to hold tenaciously to as a community of followers of Jesus, is that we are fundamentally lost and more broken than we could ever even get our heads around, but that God loves us more than we could ever hope for. Jesus is in the business of caring for rebellious sheep. And we need to continually surrender ourselves at his feet and be aware of the fact that we are not good at being our own masters. Wild sheep are not a common occurrence, okay? I came across one that I thought was wild in Iceland and it was, it was crazy. It was unkept and scared the heck out of me. It ran out of a cave, but it was owned by somebody. It just was free roaming. And it, it literally was the most matted, ugly little like rat sheep I've ever seen. I, you know, sheep is like the one animal that's really hard for me to know if I'm referring to them in plural or singular. And if I'm getting it wrong, I just want you to know, I'm just not, feed my lambs. I'm like, is that a word? I thought it was sheep, but I'm not gonna question Jesus. Um, so this is the reality. The feeding is what prepares us. The reason we gather together and we gather around the word of God is because the more we allow the word to be, to be fed the word and we feed upon it and, and we learn how it points us to Jesus, that Jesus is what the scripture is pointing to, that the word is, we don't worship the written word, that's what breeds arrogance and pride in the church. We worship the living word, but we can't know the living word without coming to the scripture for the scripture reveals who Jesus is and, and they are intertwined. And, in, and this is why we also need the Holy Spirit because the word is a dead book in our hands if it is not illuminated by the good teacher. And so it is that we are called as shepherds under the big S shepherd, Jesus himself, to continually help you learn how to grow in your intimacy with him. Jesus is the door. He is the good shepherd. And it is through him that we come into life and we come into it abundantly. So the church is a place of protection, a place of care. It's a place of feeding. But the final thing that we often don't see, and honestly, I didn't really see it until I started preparing for this message, is that I never really asked the question, all the passages that Jesus uses around us as sheep and him as the shepherd, it doesn't really talk about the end game so much. And that is 
The shepherd protects the sheep from wolves, right? And thieves. And he cares for them and he feeds them and he grooms them and he brings them to the best possible health. And believe me, I've seen flocks that are fed poorly. I've seen flocks that were beaten more than they were fed. I've seen flocks that were fed continual fast food and did not make them very, very lovely to look at. (laughs) But to be a flock that has truly been groomed by Christ, for Christ, we have to ask the question, what is the purpose of the sheep? What is he grooming us for? And all we have to ask if we're gonna continue the metaphor of the church as sheep is that yes, it is a place of protection, but here is the paradox. The church is a place of sacrifice. Sheep are cared for, protected, and well-fed so that they can be slaughtered. And this is the good news of the gospel, guys. I'm just so excited that you wanna be a part of this. Uh, It's true. The church is a place of sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. And you may say, well, where is it talking about sacrifice here? Well, I'll get to that. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. What is the work that Jesus does? He lays down his life for the sheep and takes it up again. And he says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Stop right there. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Don't stop there. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So it just seems like, man, Jesus has got us covered. Nothing can go bad, right? They follow me. They hear my voice. They know me. Hear, know, and follow. Those three realities, that should be a continual theme in our lives as followers of Jesus, that we are, we are hearing from him, that we know him, because what's the greatest and most threatening passage spoken from the lips of Jesus anywhere in scripture? Away from me, I never knew you. Those words terrify me. Lord, didn't we do this and this and this in your name? Away from me. He doesn't even deny that they did lots in his name. Away from me, I never knew you. So we are to hear, know, and follow. But what does it take to follow him? What does he often add to the words, follow me? What usually comes before he says, follow me? Do you know? Pick up your what? Cross. In other words, our protection, our care, our nourishment as a church community is only to make us become the perpetual living sacrifices that point the world back to Jesus. Now this is where the metaphor breaks down because the sheep ultimately are meant to reflect the shepherd. And that's the beautiful piece of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Is that yes, he will protect you and in the context of the church, we are gonna do all that we can to protect you, to care for you, to make sure that you are nourished in your, in, in that you know We want to teach you the scripture. We want you to be prepared to do the work of the ministry. But the work of the ministry is to have our lives laid down for the good of those outside our walls. That is why we can't fall into the trappings 
of the wars that are happening out there between the left and the right because we are called to be conduits of God's grace to both. Because we are called to be witnesses to King Jesus. And that's why we're not picking wars with the culture. And by the way, it's stupid to even try to pick a war with the culture because the culture is always a moving target. That's why I like to tell pastors, like, how important is it that we understand the culture in which we live? Well, good luck. Because you know how, have you ever seen people that don't seem to get something and the language we like to use, like, they're a bit of an alien, you know? When I went to Russia after communism fell uh, in 1999, 2000, they were still just getting like tidbits of the Western culture. And so kids were confused and you would go, I, I remember walking through Moscow through Red Square and there was this kid performing and he was wearing a denim jacket with a, with a vest and on one side it said anarchy and then the other side it's, it had like the peace sign and then he had like Metallica patch and then he had the Beatles and he was playing Bon Jovi. That is a confused individual and Russians singing on a steel horse I ride is something to behold. Um, and all I could think was it was like aliens were given a box, a grab bag of pop culture and were trying to like fit in but they don't fit in. That's how we are guys. That's how Christians are when they try to analyze culture. We're so bad at it. It's so funny to me. It's like anytime I see like some PhD from, you know, some conservative theological seminary trying to speak to like music culture or something, it's just like ridiculous. It's like it's the biggest joke in the world because you can't understand a culture that you actually aren't fully participating in. And the thing is, is that we're to be in the world, but not of it. So we're always gonna be a little bit on the outside. And that is why, just a great rule of thumb, just in general, the world, it's weird. I'm just gonna say this once. The world will always do the world better. It's a fascinating fact. Uh, and why we as Christians, we, we look at culture through the lens of the gospel, recognize that much of it's an enigma and it's all around the same thing, human brokenness and the attempts to make meaning out of life. We get all of that. But our primary responsibility is to be a sacrifice. What's gonna be compelling to the lost out there is not your ability to hang with them in their cultural knowledge. It's going to be your willingness to lay down your life for them because you see them with the eyes of Jesus and know that he died for them as well. That is what Portland is looking. They're not looking for Door of Hope to be cool. In fact, I may have found our own church, when I think back to what it was like when we first started it, I may have found that suspect when I think back to myself coming to faith at 27, because the last thing I wanted was Christians to come to me with a cool Jesus. What I wanted was someone to save me because I was lost. And that's what the good shepherd does. He has come to seek and save that which is lost and he has come to do it through us. And so all of the protection, all of the care, all of the nurturing, all of the feeding is not meant to just make us fat. It's meant to make us beautiful sacrifices. And that means that in this life, Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. 
But notice he doesn't say, that doesn't mean you're not going to die. We're all going to physically die. Death has been appointed. Not even God escaped that. We're all going to die. But we are promises that that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And the resurrection life that awaits us is what should inspire us today to live sacrificially in the moment. But that comes as we grow in our confidence, our confidence in the presence of Christ, the reality of his saving power, and the joy that comes from knowing him as the central passion and longing of the human heart. You guys, we are sheep. But sheep are protected and nurtured and fed only so that they can be sacrificed. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. If we don't allow ourselves to be a part of the protective, nurturing, feeding um, qualities of the church, we will be sacrificed for the wrong reasons. And what we will ultimately end up sacrificing is our faith. And this is why we need one another. Jesus is good. He's a good shepherd. And I know, guys, sheep, they like to hang together, but they don't really like each other. We don't get to pick our own family. The church is filled with awkwardness. Never cease to be amazed. We are a bunch of weird aliens trying to figure out what the world means. And we think we're, we're cool and kind of getting it, but we're not. And that's okay. Like, nobody's getting saved because I'm wearing clogs today, okay? <laughs> Only thing that's going to really happen with these is I'm probably going to break my ankle soon going downstairs. The fact is, is that Jesus is good. And that is what draws people to him is the kindness of God. May people discover the love of Christ in this community as we surrender to him as the flock of God and him as the good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray.